So this is Dr. Reverend Dr. Renee Jackson, who I first heard about from Sharonda and Carla. So Sharonda and Carla, um, Reverend Jackson or Pastor Renee officiated their wedding a few years ago. So when we met Sharonda and Carla, they were talking about her and they're like, man, she's just like this really great pastor. You know, she'd be fun to have come down and speak. And then Ken ran into her at a United Church of Christ conference here in Michigan. And he came back and he's like, no, we really should have her come down and preach. I think she'd be great. So we're finally getting around to doing that. Um, Pastor Renee has her doctorate of ministry from United Theological Seminary. And she did her MDiv at Chicago Theological Seminary. She is the lead pastor of the First Congregational United Church of Christ of Imlay City. And then I'm going to try and get the area. She is the Southeast Area Minister of the Michigan Conference of the UCC. So she oversees churches throughout Metro Detroit and then up through Eastern Michigan. So in some traditions, you might call that like a bishop, right? Uh, Associate Bishop. <laughs> yeah. So with all of that, we are just really pleased to have her with us this morning. Her husband, Dennis, is sitting back there with Ken. Let's give Renee a warm welcome as she comes up. <laughs> I think I got the mic on correct, so that's a good <laughs> place to start. Yeah. So first, let me say, praise God. This is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I am so thankful to those two ladies right there. My heart is still warm for you. I love you, and I'm so glad to be able to be with you again. It's been a long time. So thank you for talking good things about me and not leaving out that other stuff. And thank you. <laughs> and thank you to Ken. Where are you, Ken? There. Thank you for the initial invitation when we met the first time. And thank you, Emily, for following up. It is a great honor to be invited to share in worship and to be in this prestigious place, right? And so I don't take it lightly at all. So first of all, let me just say, on behalf of United Church of Christ, we are one in God's family. We are one in God's family. There's a scripture somewhere, I don't remember exactly, but it says it's good. It's a good thing when brothers and sisters worship together in unity. And that is what we are doing today. So thank God for all of you, amen, amen. for joining us in that, in that endeavor that we might indeed be all one. I want to say, uh, oh, let me just clarify. In the United Church of Christ, we do not have bishops, per se. Oh, I know, I know. I just have the Just, you know. Yeah. So we have what the closest would be our conference ministers. Okay. So I'm an associate conference minister. Okay. Just to be clear, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I do have red shoes, though. Some people have called me Popette, but that's another story. <laughs> so, so I'm so excited because this is a lively crowd. I love that. I love that. And so I, whenever I'm in a new place, I like to tell people that you should worship in the way that is meaningful for you. If you are a person who likes to say, yes, preach it, sister, yeah. do that. <laughs> if you are a person who likes to just clap, then do that. If you like to shout out amen, then you can do that. And if you like to be quiet, 
you can do that. Okay? So, you know, if I'm just like going totally off base, then just kind of give me the face, you know? <laughs> but, if, but if I'm doing, I'm saying something that is meaningful to you, that you find some agreement with, or it's a thought-provoking for you, then just kind of say, hmm, yeah. And so periodically, I might invite you to say amen, but you don't have to wait for my invitation. Okay, all right. So let me just share that um, I did not bring a Bible. I know I forgot something this morning. Does somebody have one? Because that would be helpful as I shape the, uh, the scripture for the sermon for today. And, and I, did, I do ask you for your... Um, Thank you. I do ask for your indulgence because I know that traditionally you would have somebody up there, but you know, I'm just a little shaky standing up there. And I'm just really glad I wore flat shoes today. So, so okay. So the scripture that I'm going to be preaching from is from the book of Genesis. And if you would like to follow along on your phone or whatever device you have, I'm reading from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 30. Listen now for the word of God. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was thus put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray, your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. Amen. So my sermon for today is entitled, The Shaping of a Worldview. The Shaping of a Worldview. So our biblical story picks up from Abraham and Sarah and moves ahead to Jacob, who is Abraham's grandson and the son of Isaac and Rebekah. From the beginning, Jacob was a scoundrel. As the younger twin brother of Esau, he fought with his brother Esau, even gripping the first baby's heel during their birthing. Talk about your rough deliveries. Esau wasn't one to think beyond the moment when it came to practical matters. One day he came in famished from working in the field and foolishly agreed to sell Jacob his birthright, as was due to the oldest child, in exchange for a bowl of stew. 
It says volumes about Jacob to even barter for such an honored position. To make matters worse, when Isaac was on his deathbed, Jacob, with the help of his mother Rachel, no pun intended, conspired to trick her husband Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing and inheritance that should have been bestowed upon Esau. When Esau learned of their trickery, he was determined to kill his brother Jacob. After Rachel learned of Esau's murderous intent, she sent Jacob away to her brother Laban in Haran with the hope that he would find a wife there rather than among the Hittite people of Canaan where she and Isaac lived. So Jacob makes his way to Haran, becomes infatuated with Laban's daughter Rachel, and agrees to work for Laban for seven years in exchange for marrying Rachel. As we learn in this saga, deceit runs deep in this family. When the time came for Jacob to marry Rachel, Laban waited until Jacob was drunk and tricked him into marrying Rachel's sister, Leah, instead. Don't you just love family? <laughs> just love them, just love them. So Jacob awoke the next morning and realized he had consummated his marriage with Leah. So he must have been really, really drunk. Yeah. <laughs> he had consummated his marriage with Leah and not the one he'd worked seven years for. This pattern of double dealing and lying between Laban and Jacob spanned 20 years until Jacob is told by God in a dream to leave with his family and return to his homeland in Canaan. So Jacob has left Canaan with nothing, but after 20 years, he had two wives and their slave girls. Along with his 11 children, he had amassed great wealth manifested by his numerous slaves, flocks, camels, and donkeys, and all of those things that considered one to be wealthy in those times. There was just one thing. His return home would mean crossing the path he most assuredly wanted to avoid. In order to return to Canaan, Jacob had to face Esau. The prospect of a confrontation with his brother frightened Jacob. He believed that Esau still sought to kill him. You know, fear has a way of shaping one's worldview. Jacob knew that if someone had betrayed him as he had done to Esau, his brother, he would still be lying in wait for that person, even if it was 20 years ago. I mean, in his mind, how could it be any other way? To him, revenge was the expected end. So in an effort to gain a favorable edge, he assembled a convoy of gifts and sent them ahead to Esau. He thought, maybe bribery will work. Maybe it'll at least buy me some time. Jacob knew that he was in a vulnerable position. And not only him, but his whole family. You see, word came to him that Esau had prepared for him too. An army of 400 was waiting for Esau to give the attack order. Yes, fear has a way of shaping one's worldview. 
Esau had no reason to expect that his brother Jacob was any less underhanded and conniving than when he fled from home two decades earlier. So Esau was not going to be sucker punched again. He was ready, if need be, to make a preemptive strike. They were like boxers taking their stances in the ring. Yeah. They had their fists raised. They were waiting and watching to see who would make the first move and throw the first punch. Mm. So here's a question for you. How often has guilt or fear shaped your view of life? Do you live life with your dukes up? Do you try to negotiate or buy love or approval? Which describes you, the betrayer or the betrayed? The naked truth is that at some point in life, we each have been both. You can say amen, because you know that's the truth. You know it's true. We have all used manipulation to get what we wanted or thought we needed from someone at some time. We have all been Esau or Jacob. The Jacob in us all, the Esau in us all, desperately needs to be understood, forgiven, and willing to forgive. Hallelujah, Hallelujah indeed. After Jacob sent his convey of gift-bearing messengers off to meet Esau, he led his wives and children to where they were able to safely walk to the opposite side of the river Jabbok. They were positioned to not only cross over the river, but to cross over into an unknown new beginning. That's the part to think about. It's an unknown new beginning. Dr. Vanessa Lovelace observes that Jacob is now at a crossroad, literally and figuratively. He has arrived at the ford of the Jabbok that is the boundary between Laban on one side and Esau on the other. But he has also come to a place where he believes he faces life or death, end quote. Have you ever found yourself at a crossroad in life? Some might say that the church is at a crossroad. So what we all have to consider is do we take a defensive posture or position ourselves for an unknown new beginning? That could be true for this church. I, I don't know, but, but you know. So do we clutch with clenched fists the way things have always been done and risk death? Or do we release our treasured traditions with wide open hands, minds, and hearts and wager on life? Hmm. Jacob, having done all he could do, needed some alone time. He lay down for what surely would be a fitful night's sleep. And suddenly he finds himself in a wrestling match with an unknown man. They fight through the night. And the text says that Jacob held his own. For the mysterious man was unable to get the upper hand. And just before daybreak, 
the man, or in some texts, the angel, strikes Jacob on the hip, dislocating his hip socket as they continue to fight. And then, strangely, Jacob demands a blessing from the one that he's been striving with, refusing to let him go. What is going on here? <laughs> what has Jacob discerned about the man that would lead him to such an odd demand and that the demand could be met? Who was this man? Now, some translators say it was an angel. Some say it was God. Some say it was some spiritual being or demon. I don't know, you decide. <laughs> and then the question is, why did it attack Jacob? Now, I'm not certain of the answer. However, I wonder if God created a situation that allowed Jacob to literally fight with himself. Hmm. Could that be why the mysterious man could not prevail over Jacob? Could that be why the man asked Jacob, why do you ask my name? Don't you know? <laughs> Did Jacob not recognize himself? Did he have to get sucked into realization that he was his own greatest adversary? That he was his own defender? over adversity? Hmm. So here's a question for you. What events transpired to bring you to the realization that much of life's paramount struggles occur within ourselves and how we respond to the challenges of life? I'll say that again. What events transpired to bring you to the realization that much of life's paramount struggles occur within ourselves and how we respond to the challenges of life. Nervous laughter. Yeah. <laughs> Are the coping strategies we've developed over our lives still working in our best interest? Now that's a really, really good question. Because we all develop them in order to make it through life. And if we are in tough situations, sometimes we will develop a coping strategy that puts people off. We will take the offense position. Some of us will take the defense of position. Some of us have developed strategies of passive aggression. Some of us develop strategies of gambling or medicating ourselves with not necessarily legal substances, right? Some of us have taken on the strategies of, I'm going to leave them before they leave me. I'm going to get them before they get me. I'm going to cut myself off so nobody can get in here. So those are coping strategies. They may not be wrong necessarily, but they may only work for a time. And so my question to you is, do your coping strategies still work for you? Is it making your life better? Are you happier? Are you yearning for a relationship but don't know how to get out of that, I'm going to keep my fence around me 
I'm going to push away. I'm going to get them before they get me or, I'm, or whatever your strategy is. Is it still working for you? Do we find ourselves locked into patterns of behavior that threaten our sanity, our happiness, or our peace? Remember that fear has a way of shaping one's worldview. When you think of the occupant at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, maybe you might wonder <laughs> what is shaping the worldview. I'm just saying. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but going back to our story. The text doesn't tell us what the blessing was that Jacob eventually received. It just might be that God, through an extraordinarily odd manner, blessed him to accept the fullness of himself. The fullness of himself and that the direction of his life and that of his family on the other side of the Jabbok River would be determined by what part of himself would shape his view of the world. And just to be sure, Jacob didn't convince himself that it was all a weird dream. You know, we can do that. He had a limp in his hip to remind him of that night. Of course, it could also be that Jacob really did wrestle with God. If you've ever resisted what you knew God was prompting you to say or do, to go left and not right, to forgive rather than hold a grudge, then you know something about struggling or fighting against God. Can I get an amen? Amen. There's some honest people in here. I love it. I love it. Praise God. God's will may contend with us and our free will. And our choices may indeed leave us wounded with a limp here and there. Yet, through it all, God still blesses us. Now, that's your shouting moment right there. God still blesses us through it all. Even through the bad choices, even through the poor coping strategies, even through our lying to ourselves. You know, self-deceit is a powerful thing. Even through all of that, even through our railing at God saying, why did you do this to me? Why has this happened to me? I have been faithful. I have been participating in this church I've been giving my money you know God you know why me and God says well why not you I think Jesus said if I was persecuted you will be too but we we don't like that part we don't like that part but through it all God still blesses us. God blessed us with the unmerited gift of grace and salvation that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We struggle and wrestle with God until the light breaks in through our deepest and darkest fears. 
And then, when the night of our experience is past, we discover the blessing that we demanded, the blessing that we yearn for, is right there, Amen. awaiting for us in the dawn. The dawn of the opening of our hearts, our souls, and our minds. The dawn of awakening ourselves to that life on that other side, in that new and unknown beginning. It's not a freight train rushing at us, but it's an open field of dreams and possibilities, of hope restored. Oh, that there is a love that is so more than we can even give utterance to that envelops us. And it shows us that there is more to life than this little window that we've been looking through. God blesses us. We demand, God bless me. And God says, I have, and I am, and I will. So my friends, what shapes your worldview? I really want you to sit with that for a moment. What shapes your worldview? You know, fear restricts one's worldview. But there's such a thing as grace and mercy that if we let it, will expand our worldview. Love defines one's worldview. Is love defining your worldview? Or is it the lack thereof? What will your wrestling with God produce for you? Hmm. What will it produce for the world? How would the world be changed if your wrestling with God was not out of self-protection, if it was not out of fear, but out of that spark of God that is in each and every one of us that begs to look out to the other and to see someone who don't look like you or me and to see that God is there smiling back, that God is there waiting to embrace, that God is there needing your help your hand, your voice, how would that shape your worldview? How would the world be different? It's one thing to believe that Jesus is my savior. But Jesus didn't come just for my personal satisfaction, my personal redemption. I might Hopefully you might recall that Jesus said, I send you out as sheep among what? Friendly folk? <laughs> no. Wolves. Yes. Send you out so that you would give 
of yourself. That you would give of all that I pour into you continually because there are some who need to know that there is a God who loves, who knows every little dirty secret thing about us, every single thing, <laughs> and says, beloved, my child, come take my hand. Let me show you what life on the other side can be like. And then when you have been restored, I love Psalm 23, you know, he restores my soul. He leaves me beside the still waters. After you've been there, because you can't stay there, right? But you need to go there because we all need restoration and renewal. So you need to go there and be replenished and uplifted and healed from the wounds of life. But don't be satisfied. Go, therefore. Go, therefore, into the world. Go and let others know that indeed I am in the world. That I have overcome the world. That I love every one of you. That's what our charge is, to be healed and then to heal. Amen? Amen? So will you choose, as I close, will you choose to live broadly, to live boldly, and to live faithfully into a new beginning? Whatever that is that you yearn for, God wants you to have a new beginning, to not be stuck on yesterday, but to have a new beginning. Live boldly and broadly and share the love that you have been given. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.